Oh, by the way, Matthew chapter 12, please. Matthew chapter 12. We are, this, this passage today will actually take us um, to the conclusion um, of our, our sort of spring semester study of Matthew. So it's not the conclusion of the sermon series, but it's the conclusion of the spring version. And we're actually going to spend a few weeks uh, after today shifting gears a little bit, and we're going to look at what the Scripture teaches about the Holy Spirit. Uh, and the reason we're going to talk about that... Amen about the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Uh, but today, today, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, too, because uh, it comes up in our passage today. Does someone mind, while he's getting me set up, does someone mind reading the passage? That'd be awesome. That'd help me out, because I don't have it on me right now. Oh, sorry. Verses 22 to 32. 22 to who's feeling? Uh, who's feeling brave? Yeah, that's right, Doug. I can do it. Thanks, man. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, "Could this be the son of David?" But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, "It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons." Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And, if I drove out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. I don't know how many of y'all have heard this verse before, but it's, um, it's, it's on first blush, it's a, what it, what's called a hard saying of Jesus. Um, and the reason saying some sayings of Jesus are called hard sayings is because they're like hard candy. You know, it's not like something you can, it's not like a piece of gum or something like that. You can just pop in your mouth and chew on and be like, mm, that was good, spit it out. It takes time. You have to get it. You have to get it in your mind, get it in your heart, and you really got to work, work it. You got to work around. You have the layers go off before you're able to bite into it and and really understand. It. And I think that's a little bit of what we're going to deal with this morning because it's 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 a hard saying. What does Jesus mean that there is a sin that is unforgivable? Really? I mean, doesn't that seem a bit odd? I don't know if y'all. On first blush for me, it seemed a bit odd, but. I think it's going to be helpful for us to uh, look at the big picture of the Pharisees to really understand what Jesus is saying to them in this passage. And I think, I think it's important for us when we start out this passage to, to also remember that if Jesus was here, let's just use a, uh, our imagination for a moment. If Jesus was here, I think he would tell us to be careful. I think he would tell us to be careful. Because I think 
a lot of times, at least this is my own experience, we're not very honest in the church. It's been my experience. Honest about the fact that this, coming to church, or doing good deeds, or being of service, or being helpful to other people, um, can actually lead to Phariseeism. And we'll talk about exactly what Phariseeism is this morning, but it is easy for us in the church, or people who have grown up in the church, to find themselves playing the game rather than actually believing. Or, to put it another way, as Jesus would put it in Matthew, repenting and believing. See, the Pharisees were, I think, probably the most skilled game players that there's ever been. But certainly they weren't the only. And what do I mean by game players? Well, think of it this way. Think of like a slot machine. We'll use Vegas as an example. The Pharisees understood sin and salvation to be something that was outside in. Outside in. Like sticking a coin or something in a slot machine. This is how they viewed sin and salvation. What do I mean by that? Well, they had this idea that I've got, let's, let's use something, an example from today. I've got church attendance. I've got my chip. right? And I've got, uh, I did something nice for someone down the street. I got my chip. And I didn't cuss when I really felt like cussing. So I've got my chip. And the Pharisees would take all these things, right? They, they would take these good deeds, prayers they said in front of people, you know, making sure that on the Sabbath they only took a certain amount of steps. They literally would only take, you could only take like 120 steps total for the day. <laughs> so you had to be very cautious about where you went. And they took all these chips, that would be one of their chips, and they'd say, and they would shove it into the machine of God. Pull the lever, and it was like, okay, now I want to get from this what I need and what I want. Right? God is, this, God is this cosmic slot machine that I can just shove good deeds into, and I'll get out what I really want. It doesn't have to be no relationship here, no heart connection, just I do good things, I get what I need. Just absolute transactional with the Lord. And Jesus consistently and constantly throughout Matthew, but through all the Gospels, he calls them out over and over and over for this. This idea that, that, that sin, salvation comes from the outside in. They were so cautious. You know, I shouldn't touch that. Or I shouldn't eat with those kind of people. They had all the, they had this incredible system set up to where they could figure out how outside of themselves how they could be perfect before God, or how could they could get what they want. The ultimate form that they took of this was they truly believed, and I read uh, several different commentaries about this, they truly believed that by their good deeds, by this massive rule set they'd set up, they would cause, again, pull the lever, stick the coin in, pull the lever, they would cause God to send His Messiah and deliver them from Rome and put them in positions of power. Think about that for a minute. This is the, this is the system that the Pharisees, the religious people, the religious teachers of the time, had set up. We do good things. We have this incredible, incredibly long list of rules and regulations. We follow them and teach other people to follow them as best they can. And we are going to get the Messiah 
who will deliver us from Rome and put us in positions of power. If you've been paying attention to Matthew, Jesus coming as the Messiah sort of disrupted that idea, right? Jesus, in fact, teaches about an entirely different kind of kingdom. A kingdom that is 100% inside out. The kingdom of God is inside out. He tells them over and over. I mean, you've seen it. He approaches Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Or, sorry, is it Nicodemus? Yeah. Yeah, Nicodemus comes to him in the night. And he's like, what must I do to become a part of the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus is like, you have to be born again. This is inside out. This is radical. This is transformational. You can't, I can't give you a list of things that you can not eat or eat, that you can not say or say, and bam, you're part of the kingdom. Because it's not outside in. It's not outside in. It is inside out. There is a, I'm calling for a, hum, a humility that will require an inside transformation that will change your outside. Okay. So, the Pharisees were playing a game. Um, and this, this passage in front of us today is what I would consider the pinnacle of their game. This is the pinnacle. They are so, at this point, Matthew chapter 12, they are so incredibly frustrated by Jesus' inside-out kingdom, they are ready to blow. I mean, they are so mad. They're, this is the, one of the first passages we have in Matthew where it says in verse 14, they're ready to kill him now. He has been so disruptive. He has been so... Uh, uh, he has messed up their system so thoroughly that they, they decide we have to get rid of this guy. And they make an, a totally absurd statement to Jesus here in this passage. So here, let's set the scene. Jesus is with the crowds, with the disciples. The teachers of the law, the Pharisees are there with him. And this uh, blind and mute man, so both, blind and mute, is brought to Jesus. We get no backstory on the blind and mute guy. We have no idea where he was from or who brought him because it doesn't matter. The point Matthew's trying to make in this passage is what is the reaction to Jesus uh, as he heals this man? So Jesus heals his blindness. He can speak again. Jesus totally does uh, a miraculous by the Holy Spirit, a miraculous healing of this man. There's two reactions. First of all, there's the reaction of the crowd. Do you guys remember what? Here, let's, let's turn there so we can remember a little bit. What's the reaction of the crowd? Uh, look with me at verse 23 of Matthew chapter 12. And all the people, that is the crowd, were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? Okay, that... That does not capture the Greek. I hate to say it. <laughs> this word, um, the, the word that's translated there, amazed, is flabbergasted. It means jaw-dropping. They are unable to speak because they're so incredibly shocked by what has just happened. And immediately, by their logic, they go, whoa. The next phrase, could this be the son of David? You know what that, for a Jew in the first century, the son of David means the Messiah. The one who's descended from the line of David, who would come and save his people from their sins. Their immediate reaction to Jesus' miraculous power of the Holy Spirit is, could this be the one? Could this be the Messiah? And the the Pharisees, the, the religious people, overhear this. 
the crowd saying this, and they go berserk. How do I know they go berserk? Because they say, oh yeah, Jesus, you're, you're, you're casting out those demons and healing that man by the power of Satan. Which, as Jesus will show here, by logic, is 100% absurd. It is re- totally ridiculous. Let me give you an example. North Korea. I really hope we don't go to war with North Korea. I mean, really. Like, I pray about it. But, let's say we do. Just, just again, for point of illustration. Let's say we go to war with North Korea. And let's say the head of the, the general of the entire army of the United States decides he wants to do a, an offensive against North Korea. Right? What's he going to do? What's he going to do? What's probably a first move? Use your military brain. What's that? Lob bombs. Lob bombs. Yeah, sure. Command and control. Command and control. Okay, yeah. Hey, I I can tell you've been in the military. Info ops. Yeah, sure. Info ops, yeah. All kinds of things. Okay, we don't need to get into all the detail this morning. But here's what that general's not going to do. He's not going to say, okay, army, See the Air Force jets over there? Bomb them. Bomb all of our Air Force. That'll be our first move against North Korea. We're going to bomb every single one of our airplanes so that we can't go over there and drop any missiles. Would this be a good idea? Right? Jesus is trying to show that. He's like, y'all? He's like, Pharisees, I know you're mad. You are, you're beside yourself with anger. But just stop. This is totally absurd. If the, Satan of kingdom, if the kingdom of Satan is real, which they're assuming it is, and Jesus is assuming it is also, he's like, he's not going to bomb his own planes. This is not, he's not going by the power of Satan. I'm not going to cast out Satan's own minions. This is completely absurd. His kingdom, Jesus says, would crush itself. Right? It could not stand. If America started, if, we, if the army started blowing up all of the planes and then the, and then the uh, Air Force retaliated and started blowing up all the tanks of the army, it, we, we would cease to have a military and we would be in tr- deep, 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 deep trouble. Right? And that's what he's saying. He's saying, y'all are absurd. You're just upset. Y'all are absurd and you're upset. And then he goes on, and I, don't, I won't get into all of it this morning, but he goes on to show another flaw in their logic. He's like, because at the time in the first century, the Pharisees actually had, there were people who were a part of that religious group that would go out and do their own miracle, or healings, not miracles so much, but healings of, of people, or cast out demons. And he's saying, okay, so you guys have people that you, in your tribe, in your group, that cast out demons. He's like, are they doing it by the power of God, or are they doing it by the power of Satan? Again, he's trying to trap, he traps them in their logic. Because if they say... Uh, they're doing it by the power of God, well then it would be, again, completely absurd for him alone to be the one who is casting out demons. Again, absurdity. And if they say the power of Satan, again, absurd. It's, It's ad infinitum, total absurd. So Jesus first calls out their logic, but more importantly, Jesus calls out their hearts. And that's what this phrase is, this hard saying of Jesus is. Let's read it again. Because it, it, the impact of it is um, intense. Therefore, starting with verse 31. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. 
But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. How have, I'm just curious, because again, it's summer, we can talk it out a little bit. How have y'all, have you ever heard that verse before? The hard saying of Jesus? How have you understood it? I'm just curious what some of the, because it's not easy, it's not first blush type thing. How, how have you understood that, uh, that, those verses, that passage? What is Jesus saying to the Pharisees? And I'm not going to be like, wrong answer. That's not the point. I'm just saying, how have you heard it taught? Maybe it's a better way to put it. Denying the Holy Spirit, denying that Jesus was real, was the thing that cannot be forgiven. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, I think that's right at the heart of it. Denying that he's a Savior. Denying he's a Savior. You can accept that he exists, but not his divine position. Right, right. I think just recognizing that inside there's a work of the Spirit and then suppressing it, like, and calling it something evil. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of intuitively know, oh, that's the Spirit, or like they saw this. Mm-hmm. That was supernatural, mm-hmm. giving, giving the devil credit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it really, honestly, it is the culmination of the outside in versus the inside out. Because there's several commentators, several scholars, who I think helpfully divide this. And they say these phrases by Jesus, he's talking about external and he's talking about internal. Jesus is saying externally there is no sin, no action you can do that would be unforgivable. There's nothing you can do. Nothing. Murder. I mean, think of the worst thing, like action you could commit. Jesus is saying, you can be forgiven for that. I mean, let, let me give you a couple examples. Like, let's look at um, King David. <laughs> the line of the Messiah. King David. What did King David do? Oak. Um, he, like, he committed adultery. He did. He committed adultery and uh, he murdered the husband of the woman who he committed adultery with. Fairly serious. Yet, man after God's own heart, right? It can be forgiven. Again, repentance, though, is one of the things we see with David, and we're getting to that in a minute. How about, how about uh, Saul, which is what Paul was named before his name was changed. What, what, what did Saul call, what were some of his uh, crimes? Murder. Murder. Murdering Christians, right? So, Jesus is saying, there is not an external thing you can do or say that is going to be, and that, I hope this is helpful for y'all. Like, I think some people with sensitive consciences, me being one of them, this verse can be a little intimidating uh, in the sense of, oh no, if I've, what if I've committed the unforgivable sin, right? Well, we're getting to the inside part in just a minute. Um, but ultimately, Jesus is talking about the inside. He's talking about the inside. The Holy Spirit working from the inside out. And it is possible to spend, to be so consistent and so constant in suppressing the movement of God's Spirit in your own soul as to be outside of forgiveness. Outside of, that, that's, that's, that's intense to think about. Um,
another way to understand it is to, th- is to think about if you are worried about whether or not you've committed the unforgivable sin, you haven't. <laughs> you haven't. Because that desire in and of itself uh, means that you are not falling into that category. The, the Pharisees were claiming that good was evil and evil was good based upon the darkness of their heart, the working of the darkness of their heart. They were saying, um, and Jesus, Jesus explains what their insides were like. Right? He goes on, and we've referenced this before, in chapter 23 of Matthew. He says, you are like a cup, or a dish, or a saucer, or a bowl, that on the outside looks so good, clean up nicely, and on the inside is rotting and filthy and dirty. And then he goes on, he says, you are like, Pharisees, you're like whitewashed tombs. You, on the outside, it's pristine and white and perfectly newly painted. I don't know if you've ever seen a tomb, you know, kind of like sticking up out of the ground. Uh, it's like a case almost. Perfectly white, on the inside is rotting bones, death and decay. He's, Jesus is harsh with them. But he's like, y'all, it's not about the outside. It's not about how well you clean up, how many good things you've done, how many times you've been to church, how many times you've done good things for other people. It is not about that. It is about your heart, and it's about the Holy Spirit working in your heart. And as we conclude, or, sorry, uh, as we pause to conclude, um, as we pause to conclude, let the impact settle in a little bit. Like, don't just be like, oh yeah, I was the Pharisees. Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I would, I mean, I'm in no danger. Let it, let it sink in a little bit. I, I, earlier this week, I let it sink in. I was like, Holy Spirit, how am I suppressing you? And I was deeply convicted. And in fact, this morning, I, I woke up and went and found Christy and was like, can I confess to you? And just confess several things to her that needed to come out badly that the Holy Spirit had worked in me uh, to bring out, uh, that, I, that, I, that I knew I had been suppressing them. Is there something, think about your own heart, even today. Um, and this is why I put that, this is why I had us do that particular confession this morning about really the humility it takes to repent. It's a heart thing. That's, Jesus is saying it's inside out. To really repent, like, actually repent to someone, another person especially, or to God even, is, is like impossible without the working of the Spirit. It's impossible. And so as, just as a family, I just ask y'all, God's been doing some work on me here, but where, where is the place that you know the Spirit's been knocking for a long time? Kind of like a, a notification on your phone, right? They keep popping up and you keep swiping them away. Um, is there something where there's been a knock? And you know it. It's constant. It's consistent. And you just keep on suppressing it. I'm not saying here this morning, you're in danger of the, you're in danger of the unforgivable sin. That's not my point. My point is repentance. Repentance. The Pharisees would not repent. Their pride had made them so hard and their hearts had become so dark that he says, y'all, he's talking to the Pharisees, he's like, 
you've gone too far. Today, you've gone too far. You are claiming that my healings that prove the kingdom of God is here, you're calling those satanic. You've gone too far. Let the Spirit do His work. Um, But at the same time, at the same time we let the Spirit do His work um, and convict us, remember the grace of Christ. The only way, like when we read that confession earlier today, the only way we can read that in humility and honesty is when we know there's an assurance of pardon. That God comes and God rescues. And He alone does that inside work within us. He alone, and He forgives. He forgives. Let's pray. Lord God, this is a hard passage. Lord, forgive me if I've gone astray with the passage, Lord. I, I know I don't have some definitive understanding and interpretation of this. It's a hard saying, Jesus. I still need time to chew on it. And, and, and I, I know some of the folks in here today need time to chew on it. Um, but Lord, help us not... Lord, I have used my ministry, my churchiness, my good deeds as bargaining chips. I know I have, Lord. I repent even here this morning in front of these folks. Lord, I repent of of using you. Lord, may it not be continue to be so. May I, Lord, humble me. Humble us by your spirit, Lord. We need your spirit. And we, and we ask for your Spirit to move in us, to change us. Lord, we want to change. Um, we just sometimes are unwilling to humble ourselves. Or give us the power of the Spirit to humble ourselves this morning under your mighty hand, Lord. And I pray that you would, for not, not for one moment, Lord, do not leave us there. Lift us by Christ. Lift us by your goodness. Lord, lift us by the grace that we have through the gospel. That you are always ready to forgive, Lord. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.